Can you heal from abuse? What do I do after leaving my narcissist? What does a healthy relationship look like? These concerns cross the minds of over 20 people every minute, over 28,800 people every day. And the sad fact is, we still don't talk about it enough. Healing from emotional abuse isn't a band-aid situation, but it doesn't have to take years either. The lives of millions of other survivors around the world have been impacted by their narcissist. Yours doesn't have to. To show you how to live a free, confident, and peaceful life, your host and founder of the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, Marissa F. Cohen. Welcome to the Breaking Through the Silence Bob Culture Podcast Connection, where we are going to talk about intimate partner violence and spousal abuse because it's such an important topic and we never really hear about it. Um, people, you know, are, are nervous to come forward because of judgment and a lot of other things. So we really wanted to hit this topic and make sure people know that they're not alone. And of course, I need to introduce my phenomenal co-host, Rob from the Bob Culture Podcast. Welcome on, Rob. Hey, Marissa, what's up? It's always a pleasure to team up with you and get some good work done, have some good conversations, and hopefully make a lot of progress. So always an honor. So today we have the beautiful, incredible Deborah McPhillamy. She's an award-winning author, personal development trainer, and an empowering speaker. She's the author of The Relationship Magnet, Emotional Intelligence in a Nutshell for Parents and Teachers, and The Bears of Blueberry Forest EQ Series for Kids. Deborah is passionate about helping people to get to know themselves so they can be themselves. She believes that life is way too short to be anyone else than yourself. In her self-empowerment club, theselfieschool.me, she helps people to find courage, to develop their confidence, and to let go of the fear that holds them back from being themselves. When she's not writing or teaching, she can be found spending time with her family or traveling the world with her best friend and husband, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on today, Deb. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Yay. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. It's amazing to be here. Well, thank you guys both for being here. Um, I'm really honored that we get to do this panel type discussion about, you know, spousal abuse and, you know, abuse in general. Even though it's not a great topic to chat about, it's still very, very important. So, Deb, would you mind starting by telling us your story? Yeah, uh, you know, telling my story these days feels like it, was, it really was a, a very different lifetime ago. Um, but what happened with me is that I found myself in a cycle of abusive relationships. And I only really woke up to when it got to the fourth relationships. And, you know, I, I had, I always speak about three, but then remembered that I, I forgot about the fourth one because it was just something I blanked out of my mind. But I got married really, really young. I was 17 years old. I got, um, I was, I grew up in a very conservative home, a very uh, religious home, um, very naive. And the first time I had sex, I felt pregnant. And I didn't want to shame the family. So, you know, we decided to get married. My husband wasn't much older than me. He was 21 at the time. Decided to get married. And it was okay for about the first year. You know, it was first love. It was all the excitement um, of things, new things and new relationship and baby and all sorts of things. And But for the first year of our marriage, we lived with my parents and then when we moved out, my son was about a year old when the abuse started. We moved into our own apartment and um, he'd been out drinking all day, watching cricket in the sun and, and came back. 
and I was so shocked because it was just, it was so violent. Um, and I think I must have said something to him that, that provoked the situation or that he didn't like. Um, but he just, it, honestly, it was, it was just crazy. He started throwing things and bashing things. And fortunately at that stage, um, he didn't actually hit me. But I got such a fright and I immediately ran away, took the baby and went and stayed with my mom for a week. Um, but then started thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe it was just because he was drunk. Maybe it was just that was the behavior because of, because of that. And I went back to him because I did love him. And, but then the abuse just started getting worse and worse and worse. And then it started becoming when he wasn't drinking or what happened when he wasn't drinking or it would happen first thing in the morning. Um, you know, it was a case of anything would, would spark him off. And I, and I kept trying to find out if there was a trigger. Um, was it something I was doing wrong? Um, did I say something wrong? Do I not love him enough? Do I not? So, you know, I kept questioning myself because I kept thinking that it, it was something I was doing. I was the one that was provoking him or saying something that he didn't like. And this carried on for about five years. But then I had another daughter, another child. I had a little girl, little baby girl. And she must have been about four months old or something. And we got to a situation again where his favorite thing to do was he would bash my head against the wall. He would always grab my hair in the front and then bash it. And I, I got to the point where I'd had enough because I'd left before and I came back and I left before and I came back and it, it was this whole cycle of leaving, coming back, leaving, coming back. And when this particular day, um, I was in the kitchen and he only came home at two o'clock in the morning. We'd, he'd made the date with me and said, well, you know, get ready. We'll get somebody to look after the kids. And he didn't come home. And he eventually came home at two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, why, what did I do to deserve this? Or why did he do that? Why would you make plans with me and not come back? But that was the start of me realizing that, that I'd got to the point of having enough. And we were standing in the kitchen and I said, why on earth would you ask me out and then, not come and fetch me. And I remember saying to him, you're a son of a bitch. And it made him so angry that he said, leave my mother out of this. And he, <laughs> and he bashed my head against the wall. But I remember oh. trying to make my way to the bedroom and just seeing stars and all I want, you know, I was about to faint and it was black. And, and I, I lay on the bed and I was like, oh my God, my head is pounding. I'm in so much pain, but I, I don't want to pass out because I've got two children in the house. And, um, but what that did for me was I was so angry that I, the next day I had to work and I went to work and I said, that's it. I've had enough. I've had enough of this man beating my head against the, I've had enough of the accusations and the pain and, and all of that. And then I started making arrangements to leave, but because of me trying to leave before he would always threaten me. Um, the time before that, that I wanted to leave, he said to me, if you ever try and leave again with the children, I will kill you and the children. So there was always that threat hanging over my head. So this time I got hold of my dad and I said to him, listen, I have to leave. I can't do this anymore. I can't take this anymore. So we packed up the house and we left while he was at work. And my dad installed burglar bars and gates on the, on the doors and everything. So we left that, you know, and then obviously he found out we left and he came knocking on the door, but I was quite safe in my dad's home. 
So that was kind of the start. And then I waited for about seven years before I got married again because I didn't want to make another mistake. And within a week or two, realized that, oh my gosh, I was in an abusive, but a very emotionally, mentally, emotionally abusive relationship. There wasn't physical violence with him, but it was, it was insane. The mind games, the financial abuse, the control, the you can't wear that, you can't wear makeup, you can't hug your children, you can't hug your brothers. It was a, it was just, it was horrific. Um, and that one ended as well. Um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she was dying and she, very rapidly. Um, and I said to him, you know, I want to go and spend the night at the hospice with my mom. My dad was exhausted. And he said, well, if you leave me to go and take care of your mom, then it's over. And I said, well, then it's over. I said, wow. this is my mom. She's about to die. Um, so that was the second one. And then... I got out of that one, once again, left with nothing. My children and I drove away in our car with our bedding, with our clothing, drove away from that situation. Um, and then the third time, so there was one in between that a, a guy that I was engaged to, we didn't get married. I got out of that. But then the third time um, was when I really woke up to the pattern that, that I was the common denominator was I'd, just got married again. And the reason that I kept getting married was because of my religious upbringing. You know, we were told or brought up that you don't have sex before marriage. You, you can't really have a good relationship unless you're married to the person that, you know, God won't bless you unless you do it the proper way. So there was just all that stuff going on as well. So got married to this guy and, um, he was annoyed because I wasn't giving him attention. My daughter had her friends over and I was hanging out with the teenagers. Um, and I walked into the bedroom and he just lost his rag and he had me up by my, the, my, the throttle of my, you know, my throat against the wall. And as he did that, my, my daughter walked in and I saw her face and I went, I cannot believe I'm back here again. Um, and so the next day he went to work and my daughter and her friends and I, we all packed the house like crazy, our clothes and stuff. Once again in the car, ran away um, to safety. And my son by then was out of the house and, and grown up. So we went and stayed with him until we could find a place where just my daughter and I could stay. But it was that moment that made me realize that, I seemed to, I was the one that kept getting back into these relationships over and over and over again and attracting this very type of person into my life. And by then I was already an emotional intelligence trainer. So it's not like I hadn't learned all the stuff, but it, I just hadn't discovered that my own trigger and my own lack of self-worth, self-esteem, and this belief I had about men and relationships was the reason that I kept inviting these people back into my life. So I spent a whole weekend uncovering it, deep bunking everything, um, finding out why I believed the way I did, where it came from. And it was only after I did that that I broke the cycle. Um, got out of that relationship very quickly with an annulment, which was amazing. Um, and then once again, you know, um, carried on with my life. And I think it was 10 years after that situation that I got married again. And I'm very, very, very happily married to the most wonderful, loving, oh, compassionate, aww. incredible human being that you could ever meet. 
<laughs> so wow. that's my story in a nutshell. You make me believe in love again. That that's amazing to hear. Um, you you've been through so much, and a couple of things here and there that you said that I, I could definitely uh, relate to. I want to talk about you know obviously like you said like you're in these relationships. You think there's trust. You think they're you know like your ride or die as we say here. Um, you know best friends. You can trust people, and then you kind of see like these red flags. Uh, for mm-hmm. instance, people not coming home or the constant lies. Can you tell us, I mean, obviously you've, you've experienced it in so many different ways. Can you tell us about some of like the, maybe the early like red flags that people can kind of look out for? You know, and I've got a whole page of it, of it in my book, oh, um, wow. the relationship magnet about saying to people, you know, if you've got these red flags, because that's exactly it. You know, there's, there's this thing about what we do when somebody pays us so much attention in a very short space of time. And they think you're the best thing since sliced bread. They, you're just amazing. They want to do everything for you. You're incredible. They want to see you all the time. They want to do everything for you. They just put you on this massive big pedestal. Now, when you've got a low self-esteem, you think this is amazing. Oh my God, he thinks I'm so attractive and I'm this and I'm that. So, so, so we kind of think that they besotted with us, but and my experience in all these relationships and all the research I did when I, when I wrote the book was that that is their way of getting you into their clutches very, very quickly and making you fall for them fast and hard. So when somebody makes such a big fuss of you and then they want to move things too quickly in the relationship, that's always a red flag because if somebody believes that you are worth it and you worth waiting for, they're not going to pressurize you into something. They're not going to push you into it. They're not going to put a time limit on it. So that is always the biggest red flag that that I always say to people. That is the one that you need to pay the most attention to very quickly. Absolutely. Go ahead, Marissa. I'm sorry. No, I was, I'm just sitting here like nodding my head. I was like, I wish I met you 10 years ago, Deb, but go ahead, Marissa. (laughs) No, I was just going to comment because I think that that is such a profound realization to be very honest. You know, a lot of people don't see that. And I think that, you know, they integrate into our routines and that's how they, how the, how they get us. They, they learn everything they need to know about us so they can systematically, you know, insert themselves into our lives and make it as if we can't have that routine or do anything in life without them. So I think that was a really, really good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and for them, it's all about mind games as well, because, you know, I remember with some situations, they would hide the keys and then they'd say, you'd say, but I said this. No, you didn't say that. And then they would, they would play all these different games with you because it's a way of eradicating your self-esteem. Just backing up on what you just said, Marissa, where they make you believe that you can't do without them. And then things like, and then eventually all the things that they loved about you, they now can't stand about you. And, you know, they'll, they'll make you look like the bad one. I remember my second husband when he would, God, I mean, he didn't hit me, but the things he did was one of the things we were on the way, we worked together and we were on our way to work the one day in his van and I was checking my messages on my cell phone, my mobile phone, and it was making like a clicking sound. And he said, can you not do that? 
can you stop that? And I said, well, I just quickly need to reply to this message. The next thing, he pulled the car up, the van up, on the sidewalk, in the middle of a busy road. He opened the door, he leaned over me, he opened the door, he lifted his legs and he kicked me right out of the van, onto the street. Wow. Oh my God. So absolute crazy things. Or when we were in the car, he would start driving. If, if I didn't adhere to what he wanted me to do or he didn't like something I said, he would drive like a maniac as if he was going to crash the car into something. And the more I would be, please, can you slow down? I'm starting to feel scared now. The more he would relish out of that experience because he wanted to be in control and then when he behaved like that, he would say to me, if only you listened to me, Deborah, that would not have happened. If only you had done as I told you, that would not have happened. And eventually your self-esteem is so eroded, you, leave, you lose so much confidence in yourself that you're like, well, nobody's going to want me now. Nobody's going to love me. People are going to see how broken I am. Who, who's going to want somebody who's so broken? So it's, it's part of their unconscious plan. I mean, I don't know if people do this consciously or not because, it, because they're such broken people, but it's part of their plan to make you into something so worthless that you'll never want to leave them. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned this a lot, and this is something I've learned from Marissa a lot is it's hard to understand when these things unfold, like you really don't see them coming, you know, you, you trust somebody, you, you know, if, if something's going to happen, you know, you think there would be communication or conversation or anything like that. But you mentioned the word control a lot. And this is what Marissa's mm -hmm. helped me uh, understand. Can you talk to us a little bit about like, you know, why people are the way they are, why they try to manipulate these situations and literally control you? So it always comes from a place of them not being in control of their own life. So if you look at human behavior and you go back to their childhood, you'll find that because I did a whole section in my book about how people are made like that, how they create it, because it was very important. It was so important for me to understand why people were like that. I mean, my whole thing is about human behavior. And so for me, it was important because also it was part of my journey of forgiving and not being angry and upset and you know getting over the rage and and all of that stuff so for me i needed to know why they did it so yes yes basically why people do it is that in their childhood they get into situations where they have no control over their life so if you take a male versus a woman situation like in mine um you'll also find that the person that hurt them the most is the person that they feel the most vulnerable with. So generally, if you look at relationships, so with men, it's often because they, had, they didn't have a good relationship with their mom or they might have had a good relationship with their mother, but their mom also had the power to hurt them. So when they were possibly vulnerable or when, when um, they controlled them and they had no, con no control of the situation. So, so children generally then want to regain that control over their lives when they've been out of control. So that's then what they grow up. So when their wounds aren't healed, they grow up that way. So they have to exert their control over you because that's the only way that they feel that they can get some control back over their own lives and some power back in the, over their own lives. So you'll find that most men who harm women are misogynists and 
um, it's because of the wounds that they have picked up from a strong woman in their life as a child. Now, the opposite happens obviously with, with any sex. So whether it's um, male on male abuse, female on male, but it, it always comes to this, this stage or should I say it always comes from this area of lack within themselves where they don't have there's a missing piece and they need to find it and they don't know how to find it and therefore you know when you exert power of over somebody else if, if that's the only way you know they feel like they somehow putting that missing link gaping hole back into themselves but it actually just makes it worse wow Deb, first of all, uh, we usually save the uh, the promo for the end here, but where can we get this book? Because I'm picking it up. <laughs> so it's called The Relationship Magnet, and it's on selfieschool.me. So all my books and my programs and my courses are all on, on one platform. So you'd be able to get it there. Got it. I'll post the link in the description for anybody else that wants it. I know I will also be picking up a copy of it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, Deb, what did you do to help you heal from all of this? Because, I mean, the emotional wounds and the confidence blows, like, those are all things that stick. You know, I'm, I'm a big proponent that physical abuse is awful, but the scars go away. The emotional abuse is what really sticks with you. So, what did you do to overcome all of that? Gosh, so much. It's really, it's, it's taken me a long, long time, even to the point that when Paul and I got married, again, there was still, there was still stuff left over that, that I had to deal with. But I can honestly say today that I'm completely and utterly whole. But when I started, the very first thing I did was I joined a counseling group. Um, and it was for divorce, people, divorce care. And that's what actually led me to becoming a counselor because I waited seven years after my first marriage before, or after it ended, before I thought I needed to find some help. Um, and I could see the repercussions in my children's lives. And, you know, my son had a lot of problems sleeping and fear and lack of confidence himself. And even though my daughter was really young, um, when I left, you could see because the, there was still fighting going on even after the divorce um, for maintenance and support. And, oh, the, the control just, the, the, him trying to control me and us in our lives still carried on for a very long time after the divorce. It was almost 18 years. So there were a lot of things I had to do. I went for counseling. I've had hypnotherapy. I've used emotional oh, wow. freedom technique. I've used um, uh, the havening. I mean, I, I even, and I know this sounds really, really crazy, but a couple of years ago in 2016, I still felt that I had a lot of fear because when I wrote my book, and I was very bold. I was the first person to talk out about it in South Africa. I was on um, TV. I was on the radio. I was just blasted everywhere in the press. And at the time, I thought, well, this is amazing because now other people are going to hear about this. They don't have to be in that situation. And, and they, don't, they can learn from what, what I went through to prevent that. And there was a huge response from women who emailed me and said, you know what, because of you and speaking out, it's given me permission to leave my situation. But what happened was my first husband had got married again, and he got married to a very controlling, strong woman. And she realized that she had made a mistake. So in, in order for her to look better and not look silly because she'd married an abuser, she then took on the role 
she um, she carried on the abuse after where he had left off. So so there was this incredible backlash and bullying and, and she would pretend to be somebody else and make comments on my books and it was just a nightmare. And what happened was when I moved to England, it was it was just an ongoing thing. So my husband, my, my uh, Paul, my husband, he was the one that actually stepped in. And it was the first time that besides my brothers, that there was another man that said, you know what, enough is enough. Somebody needs to help you with the situation. And he basically reached out to them and he, and he said to them, I've got the money, I've got the resources, I've got the full force of the law. If you do not stop bullying my wife, I will bring, you know, all of this stuff against you, the force of the law. But basically what I'm saying is it was the first time that I felt like somebody had my back. And because somebody had my back, I felt like I was then able to really heal from all of this stuff. But interestingly enough, I still felt very vulnerable. I couldn't put myself out there. I cleaned up everything on Google, every single radio station, TV station, um, website. I cleaned it off completely. I changed to my new married surname. I made as if I did not exist. It took me a year to get Google to remove every single thing that had been mentioned about me. And then for a couple of years, I just licked my wounds. And I was like, I don't want to put myself out there. I'm too scared. I'm too scared of the backlash. Because also what happened when I was on radio in South Africa, a lot of people would phone in. A lot of them would be good, but then a lot of men would phone in and go, oh, I can see why your husband beat you because you've got no social skills. So you're always going to get these haters, right, that say these wow. awful things. So when I was in England, so I licked my wounds for a, f a few years and then I just said, you know what, I can't live my life in hiding because I know what my purpose is. My purpose is as a speaker, as a, a person who, who writes books and a person who teaches others, I have to take back control of my life. I've got to take the power back of my life. I can't just hide because it made me feel depressed because I wasn't being myself. So I kind of started a process of doing all the, as I said, the hypnotherapy, I did emotional freedom technique, I, I saw various counselors and therapists, I can't even remember all of them. But the biggest one for me was in 2016, I wanted to do something epic, just to get rid of the fear that I still had. And a friend of mine said to me, why don't you do fire walking? And I was like, what? <laughs> Why would I want to do firewalking? Are you crazy? <laughs> wow. But she kept on at me and she kept saying, I really feel you need to do this. And I was like, okay, well, I'll do a little bit of research. And I found this company that's about four hours drive away from me. And the minute I saw what they wrote and I saw the video, something resonated with me. I saw the video and I just started crying. And I thought, this is it. I have to do this. And I went and spent a weekend and it was actually a fire walking instructor training course. And Steve who runs it was the same guy that, well, he studied um, with the same guy, Tolly Burkan that Tony Robbins studied with. And we did, I think it was in the second day, we did a trust fall where you stand on a platform that's four meters high. So of course you're five foot or six foot on top of it, it seems really, really high. So you've got to fall backwards into these people's arms that catch you. And that is where my true healing started from because that is what helped me to realize that I could trust people again. I could trust men again. I could trust myself. 
And since then, I've gone back every year. I'm now a firewalking instructor trainer. Um, but it was all about breaking all those things that have been said over my life, rebuilding my self-esteem, comparing myself to other people and going, well, actually, that person's amazing, but I have the same quality, so I should be pretty amazing too. So it really has been a very long process, a very long journey. It's taken a lot of modalities, but I can honestly and truly say to you that as I sit here before my laptop, that I am completely and totally and utterly whole. And it was done through a lot of different ways. There wasn't just one way for me to do it. Wow. That's, that's incredible. I, I, I'm writing down all this stuff. You're, you're my new favorite person, Deb. Um, but I, I, I did want to ask you this, like a lot of things that you said resonated with me. Um, you know, obviously when, when something terrible does happen, you know, um, someone that you think you can trust, you know, obviously that trust goes away. Um, you know, people lose, lose that trust, that merit, you, you tend to lose your faith in people in general. So when you use that metaphor about the trust fall, like I, I've literally said, you know, when I've, I've fallen on hard times or I got, you know, blindsided by things in life um, my friends my support system were literally there to catch me and pick me back up like I, I'm living it and for you to use that trust fall example was just like it really resonated with me it's perfect and uh, when you started the interview uh, you said you know it feels like a lifetime ago and um, you know some of this stuff you've kind of blanked out do you can you tell us a little bit more about where you are right now and feeling whole it gives me a lot of hope well, the one thing I discovered, because, you know, when, when you start looking at why you've been abused, it, it's because of something that happened in your childhood. So I, when I traced it all back, I'd been bullied as a child um, at the age of nine, it started. But also my older brother, he hated me, but not intentionally. But when he was a little boy, you know, he had all the attention and the love. And then the girl came along and he always felt that I stole the attention away from him and him and I spoke about it the one day and I mean now he's my absolute best friend but as a kid growing up he tried to kill me a couple of times he, you know strangled me tried to stab me with the scissors it was just crazy so it's almost like when something happens to you when your essence is damaged at a really young age and you're not healed or you haven't healed from that trauma it's, it's it then carries on and on and on and on but I even discovered in my journey that it was further than that. Um, it was quite a horrific situation because I had suppressed a lot of things because you do, you suppress it, you don't know what's going on. And I think your mind only allows you to remember things when you're ready to deal with it. And about four years ago, I think it was just before I did the, the fire walking thing, I was driving along the road one day and I've always been very, very scared of pedophiles and people um, doing that to my grandchildren. And I was always very scared of that being done to my kids. Very, I always used to overreact to it. And I was driving down the road and I saw a man and his son. And once again, I got the sick feeling in my stomach. It was about a two, three year old sick feeling in my stomach. And I said to myself, why, why do you have this reaction? And then suddenly I asked myself, I said, what happened to you? And as I said that, all these memories came flooding up of me being molested as a three-year-old by a, a very close family member. And so the whole pattern of my life had been one of abuse from the age of three. And as I said, when you carry that with you and you, don't, you haven't healed from that trauma, that's why it's taken me such a long time because I've had to go back and face that. 
and and face it head on and say, fortunately, the person who did it is now dead. But that was the hardest thing for me because it was a grandparent. And I had to acknowledge and accept that this person who supposedly loved me had done that to me as a little three-year-old. So now looking back at that, I can honestly say that you know you are whole when you get to the point where you can think about that and there's no emotional trigger, there's no button, there's no reaction because I can now look at his face in a photo now and feel nothing because I realized that obviously he had been a very damaged person and something must have happened to him. Um, I have forgiven him. And I think that's always the hardest to do when you're healing from abuse is to forgive your perpetrators. But I think what makes it easier is when you look at them as an outsider, not what they did to you, but what must have happened to them to perpetrate what they you know, what they did to you. And I think that is what helped me. So, yeah, I've completely forgiven. I don't feel any emotion anymore whatsoever when I think of anything that happened to me. Um, But what is always good to remember as well, that when you're looking back and you're dealing with your trauma and you're dealing with everything that's happened, is that whenever you think about an event and you still feel something, then there's still work to be done because you know you're completely healed when you can talk about your story without emotion and you can look at your story as if it was somebody else's movie. It's not even you. This is a movie of somebody else's life. And so that is my advice to you is that, you know, when you, when you embark on this journey, it isn't easy. You've got to do the things that are going to make you feel safe, that are going to make you feel whole. The the other thing that I did, and this is what I'm going to say to everybody listening, for God's sake, go and do a self-defense course. Because that was one of the first things I did was I did a rape prevention self-defense course um, because it it makes you feel empowered. It's the first step in getting your confidence back. Um, That is it just makes you feel better, move better, walk better because you're walking like a confident person. You don't look like a victim because, you know, people can see us coming from a mile off. When you're broken and when, you, when, when you've had abuse in your life before or you have this invisible magnet inside you that attracts people to you, they can see it. So if you've just come out of that situation, go and do a self-defense course so that you can work on your body language and you can work on your body confidence and you can feel stronger and more empowered in yourself and then start your emotional journey. And I also just want to say this is that a lot of people are very scared of their emotions. Your emotions are yet to help you to have a better life. All those emotions are going to, you know, all that, they just like little warning signs that say to you, you need to pay attention to this because I really, really want you to have an amazing life and you're not going to have that amazing life until you take care of, this pain. And that's all emotions are. Your emotions can't kill you. They're just there to help you to become the person you're meant to be and to help you to have the life you so badly want and dream of. Wow. Very, very well said. That, that's it for me. I, you hit everything on the head. A lot of the stuff you said uh, resonated with me. Marissa, you got anything else before we get out of here? To be honest, no, Deb. I think that you are so uh, inspirational. Like you're you, you said things that, that resonated with me, you know, and, and I felt like I was so far healed and so 
good, you know, and then you say things and I'm just like, oh my God, it made me think. So that's why I was so quiet. I was like thinking and ruminating on, on some of the beautiful things you said. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of your insight and your story and everything with us. I think that you're an incredible person and you're so, so strong. You're welcome. Thank you. And yeah, I'm, I'm always, yeah. Um, I always invite people that just reach out, you know, and I, I also think sometimes we just need to reach out more and not be ashamed of what has happened to you because what has happened to you is just something that happened to you. That's not who you are. Um, so it's important to reach out and ask for help because it's not your fault. Somebody else's bad behavior is not your fault and it's not because of you. So you can turn, you can turn this around. You know, we've all got that power within us to turn it around and, and have the lives that we want and the relationships that we want and to find love again, like I did. <laughs> so, Yay. So yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I always do like little sound bites and write down little quotes from this. I have like at least 15 from you. So I, I love everything that you're saying, Deb. Um, thank you so much. And before we get out of here, we are about the uh, shameless promo. Tell everyone where they can get your book again. Tell everyone where they can follow you on social media, all that good stuff. So social media, if you just put in my name, Deborah McPhillamy, which is spelled M-C-P-H-I-L-E-M-Y. And then my selfie school um, is as a as I said, it's selfie school, but it's dot me. Um, so not about, it's a school of self and it helps people to get back to themselves, to love themselves, to return to self. Um, so yeah, just put my name in social media and I'll come up somewhere <laughs> and you can connect with me in my mm -hmm. free group. You can ask questions. Um, I always welcome, I always welcome people to, 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 to contact me and ask for help. Wow. Thank you so much, Zev. You are truly an inspiration. Thank you again for coming on for a few minutes of your time uh, for opening up. I know it's resonated with Marissa and myself. I'm sure that a lot of people listening uh, really took a lot for that. So thank you so much for your time and uh, continued success moving forward. You're very welcome. And thanks for doing this, guys. It's really needed. Absolutely. This, this was an honor. We'll have to do it again sometimes. And always, guys, as I always say here, stay safe, stay positive, take care of each other. We're out. Peace. If you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. That's www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. Marissa would love to develop a made for you healing plan to heal from emotional abuse. She does all the work and you just show up. Stop feeling stuck, alone and hurt and live a free, confident and peaceful life. Don't forget to subscribe to the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Marissa F. Cohen and Instagram at marissa.fay.cohen. We'd love to see you there.